When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and now a special President's Day edition mm. of the Jack Riccardi Show. <laughs> very special. Very <laughs> special. Did I set hey, the stage high enough there? You did. I, uh, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like I'm very high. Um, <laughs> did you ever want to be president when you were a kid growing mm. up, or does it occasionally occur to you even now? Nope, not at all, and there's a reason why. Okay. Because growing up in Fort Worth, and this is a true story, when my, my father was in high school in the 1960s, he was a state champion trumpet player in Texas back-to-back years. So he was involved in the, the massive group of high school students that that played for, for John F. Kennedy and Jacqueline Kennedy on mm-hmm. the day he was assassinated over in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. so before he mm-hmm. left. So the truth is, Jack, the idea of being president... Mm. was a little more frightening to me. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No, no, I don't I don't need to be on Air Force One. Nope. Well, you know, their loss is our gain as far as I'm concerned. So <laughs> yeah. we're glad to have you right where you are. I appreciate that. We're going to talk about that today, though. That's going to be our question on the JR poll. First, though, you heard the news. Christian just told us about Red McCombs. He was 95 uh, when he passed away today with his family. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this today because... People are going to go through his accomplishments with uh, bringing the Spurs to San Antonio from uh, Dallas as an ABA team and then an NBA team. They're going to talk about his business, not only the automotive empire, but the energy companies. And uh, he was one of the originators or or uh, pioneers of what we used to be called Clear Channel Radio, which then became Clear Channel Communications, which is now called iHeart something or other. And um, it, it, it's safe to say that, however you feel about Red McCombs, you've 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 come in contact with, or you've come across the influence that he's had uh, in our city. Uh, th- there have been very few people that have ever lived in San Antonio that have had as much of an effect or touched as much of people's everyday lives. And he's also had a profound effect in Texas. He. Uh, not only made a lot of charitable donations, but he funded a lot of conservative political causes and campaigns. And uh, there's a whole nother impression of Red McCombs that, that a lot of people across Texas have that, that has very little to do with the license plate frames uh, around the you know car license plates. But anyway, my point is um, you have seen and felt his effect all around you as long as you and I have lived in San Antonio. And yet he never held elective office, as far as I know. I don't think he ever did. 
And we very often conflate the word leader with politician. When we complain about our leaders, we're usually complaining about our politicians or our office holders. We've made those things synonymous in our usage, but they're not synonymous. Politicians are not always or even usually leaders. If an elected official is a leader, that's pure coincidence. And I was thinking about it today. I've lived in a few different places. I've been in a few different places. Every place I've ever lived in had its political class of people, but then it had its doer class. It had the people that didn't have a political title, didn't win an election, but got things done. And Red McCombs was one of those people in San Antonio. And and when you think about the doers, they really move the needle. Not just in little two-year or four-year increments. They do the stuff that takes longer. They do the stuff that takes a lot more people to get involved. They have to persuade people to fund something or donate to something because they don't have the power politicians have. Politicians can make you do what they think you should do. But the doers have to persuade you to do it. And often they do. Now they get rich. They do just fine. The doers are usually very wealthy people. They're usually some of the wealthiest people in their city or their town or their state. But they also lift up a lot of other people. And if you think about politicians, they get rich too. But they get rich an entirely different way And they usually don't lift up anybody. The politicians will always have, and to some degree we always need, but the doers we really need and make the biggest difference. I don't think you could name a mayor of San Antonio. I don't think you could name a city council person or any other elected title who made as much of a difference as Red McCombs did. Now, I'm not saying he was a saint, And I don't know him personally. I never met him. I have no connection to him whatsoever. But um, people like this are leaders. And thank God we have them. Like you, I heard the news about Jimmy Carter over the weekend. And if you haven't heard this, I'm I'm sure you have. But he is uh, basically in hospice care. His family, he and his family, have decided to not pursue any more medical interventions. He's had a lot of issues in recent years. He's 98 years old. And so he is just resting and being comfortable and spending time with his family and preparing for the life after this one. And, um, of course, people are already starting to eulogize him, which is a little weird because he's still with us, but, I, you know, I understand that. And um, it got me to thinking about President's Day. Because today is the holiday. I mean, actually, almost every single person I've talked to today is working. I don't really know very many people that are off. But if you are, that's great. You picked a great day for it. But um, it is President's Day. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, over the years, different news organizations have done surveys of school children, usually leading up to President's Day or leading up to an election. And they will ask school children, do you want to be president when you grow up? Did you ever want to be president when you were a kid? Did you dream of it? Did somebody say to you, someday you could be the president or anyone can grow up to be president? And did you believe that? And did you believe it could be you? 
Did you want it to be you? I mean, you don't have to tell me if it's embarrassing, but did you ever like look in the mirror and pretend you were giving the speech? Or did you imagine yourself on Air Force One or living in the White House? And it's okay. But here's what's interesting about these surveys they do of school kids. They've been doing this for decades. I read several of them today going back to like the late 80s. Do you know that in every one of these surveys, the percentage of kids that want to be president when they grow up drops? Every time they do it, the percentage of kids that have a dream of being president is lower than the one before it. It's very low. It's in the, I think, single digits now. What do you think about that? So in other words, to kids, this is not a dream worth dreaming or a goal worth setting. Now, I I will say at the outset, we probably have to be careful of people who spend their entire lives wanting to be president, because if they ever become president, they'll probably be monsters. Might even explain some of our recent presidents. I don't know. But anyway, what do you think about the fact that kids don't want the gig anymore? And by the way, when they're asked, they say things like, well, it, it's uh, too much work, it's too much pressure, everybody's mad at you all the time. Uh, I, I saw where one kid said, um, it makes your hair turn white, which is true. Um and then CNN, about seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that, they did a, 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 a twist on it. They went to the kids, they surveyed a bunch of school kids, and they said, what if we gave you a million dollars? Would you want to be president then? You can, you can have a million dollars if you'll be president. And one little boy said, I want the money up front, which that's a smart kid. But anyway, um, they still, they didn't change it at all. They still, the vast majority of them did not want the job. So I was thinking about this today, and I was thinking about why this would be. And here, here's what I've come up with, and I want to I want to know what you think. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. But I I think it's because the recent occupants, some of the recent occupants of the presidency, have been just they've they've shrunk the presidency. I mean, it's even to the point where it's so pathetic when aides to the president say things like, "Well, the job's just too big." Or people just expect too much. No one can really do it anymore. I mean, that, that's, that's stuff that recent presidential aides have actually said. Not only the current president, but some of our other recent former presidents. Well, it's just too big. It's just too much. Well, no wonder kids don't want to do it. And when they see the faces we make as their parents when the president comes on the television, no wonder they don't want the job. Who would want to be that guy? So I think the answer to this is that, and you probably already know where I'm going with this, we really need American history. We really need kids to understand that despite coming up a little short lately, we're we're in a dry patch, um, we, we have had people in that position, we have had men in that job who have done great things and have made differences. And that will make up for the fact that, yes, currently it's it's not a very impressive uh, position. Let me play this for you. This is President Biden had an event at the White House where he was uh, screening the new movie Till, which is about the 1955 lynching of Emmett Till. 
And this is what the president said about lynching the other day. Take a listen to this, cut number two. It was almost exactly one year ago that I signed a law more than 100 years in the making. It was an honor. It was one of the great honors of my career, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, making lynching a federal hate crime. You know, folks, lynching is pure terror, enforcing the lie that not everyone belongs in America and not everyone is created equal. Pure terror to systematically undermine hard-fought civil rights. Innocent men, women, children, hung by a noose from trees, bodies burned, drowned, castrated. They're crimes, trying to vote trying to go to school, trying to own a business, trying to preach the gospel, false, false accusations of murder, arson, robbery, lynched for simply being black, nothing more. With white crowds, white families <clears throat> gathered to celebrate the spectacle, taking pictures of the bodies and mailing them as postcards. Hard to believe, but that's what was done. And some people still want to do that. Mm, okay. Some people still want to do that. Here's the President of the United States in 2023 talking about lynching and talking about how some white people still want lynching and still would like to have a picnic at a lynching. Really, who? Where are they? This is the kind of thing that shrinks the job. It's gross. It's weird. And it's why the presidency is toxic. And only history can be the tonic for that. The, the, the only thing we can do is remind ourselves and our kids that it hasn't always been like this. Um, and people are going to start saying a lot of nice things about Jimmy Carter, and I just want to be clear about this, because um, he, he, you know he's a, he's a husband, he's a father, he's a human being. Uh, I, I pray for him and his family. Um, I'm not going to amend my opinion about his presidency. Uh, it was disastrous. It was um, ill-fated. It was misguided. It was a hole we dug as fast as you can dig in four years, although <laughs> we may be about to break the record. But um, I heard somebody once say of Jimmy Carter, and I think it was an interesting observation, he seemed to be a much better ex-president. I mean, I can't, I can't find fault with that. Like a- after he left the presidency, his dignity, his humility, his participation in good causes was, you know, spotless. And he he has been a great example to people. If it's possible for that to be a thing, an ex-presidency, he had one of the great ex-presidencies, I would say. Uh, 210-599-5555. William says, yeah, I wanted to be president once. Is it recent, William, uh, or is this a long time ago? No, this is decades ago. <laughs> not recently. <laughs> no. Not now. Not You're recently. not announcing today. No, no, not now, okay. not today, not especially not now, but... When was this, and why did you want to be president? Like, how old were you? I would have to say grade school. You know, some somewhere's around there. So I, I got, I was actually kind of shocked to hear hear your reporting because I kind of thought every little kid kind of wanted to be president. So yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. It's kind of shocking. 
the, but in, the, in that reporting, though, in the, on that polling, is there like a certain decade where it really started falling off? Or is it kind of consistent across the board when you were looking at that? I was looking at, no, I mean, I was looking at, uh, the first one I looked at was like 89 or 90. And the last one I saw was 2016. So in that sample, it went down every time. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be curious, how, like from back when we were kids to the to today, how it, how it looks or how it polled. I'd be really curious to see. Well, you and I aren't too far so, apart in age. I mean, I, I'm sure no. Watergate didn't help, right? No, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and then Jimmy Carter didn't help. And then Bill Clinton escapades didn't help. And, right, you know, right. I mean, it, it just, it, it's, it's just not been a great, when we look back at 250 years of history, this has not been a great recent, you know, chapter. No, no, not at all. The last hundred years has been quite different than the first hundred years, that's for sure. So no. it's, it, the men, the men, the, the men we've had as president, the leadership dwindled over the decades as to tr- being true leaders in that position. Um, and definitely not statesmen anymore. They're, that's uh, that's really sad that they're but they're just not statesmen anymore like they used to be, and yeah. uh, some people don't even understand what that term means anymore. So, like you said, history needs to be taught because history is being lost. Unfortunately, uh, year after year, it seems like a little bit more history slips away. There's yeah, because so if all you know today. is the is the stuff you lived through, then you haven't lived through very good presidencies. <laughs> so you no, you need no. you need to know there have been some. Some pretty uh, amazing people in that uh, in that job. William, thank you. Appreciate the call. So, did you ever want to be president? What? How old were you? Do you remember what made you feel that way? Um, if you still feel that way, that's okay too. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Uh, hey, whatever. You know, maybe the dream is still alive. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Um, now, it's not a new thing that people are mad at who's president. My my. My mom told me that there were people in her time when she was a little kid and Roosevelt was president, there were people like, like her parents admired him and had voted for him and believed that he was doing great things for the country. But there were people, she said, friends of theirs, neighbors, and stuff, who could not even say his name. They were so um, just furious with him. So it's not a new thing that People look at whoever the president is, make a face, make a say a word, whatever. But when kids see that, obviously they're apt to think that 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 goes with the you know goes with the job. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five, and um, it's not that being president should be the the aspiration of every kid, or that going into politics is the best thing your kids could ever want to do. I mean, it's important for them to know that uh, they can make a difference. In whatever walk of life they choose, they can help people, they can touch people, they can change things from any vantage point. In fact, it's probably better if they don't feel they have to go into politics to do that. And we were talking about Red McCombs, who's a perfect example of somebody that didn't seek political office, didn't hold political office. So whatever he was able to do, he's able to do by persuading people, paying people, buying things, but not making you or making me do anything i mean if you bought a car from him that was your choice you didn't have to if you went to the spurs you know that was a choice you didn't have to and and i think and i think that's that's an important kind of leadership that we're we're losing track of or we're not talking enough about because we're letting politicians pretend that they are the leaders and they are the only leaders and that's the only way to be a leader and it's not and it never has been and I mean, I actually think probably what we actually need in the presidency, 
are probably people that never dreamed of being president and never thought they would be in a position or seek it or I, I, I mean, I don't know if this is realistic or not, but we probably need people that we have to persuade to, to seek it because the people that really burn for it are hypocrites or maniacs, sorry to say. Uh, the guy that wants to be president right now uh, went to Ukraine in a surprise visit and here to talk about that and some other things with us. On the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is Jed Babin, former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense in the Bush 41 presidency. Jed, did you ever want to be president when you were growing up? Was there ever a time you saw yourself that way? Oh, I, yeah, I, I probably did, but I think I got over it by the time I was 10. Yeah, you outgrew it like, like, like short pants. Um, yeah, no, like I was that. I was making the point earlier that uh, I, I I looked it up, and in several surveys over the last say thirty years, the percentage of American school children that say yes to that question has gone steadily down. Well, why not? It's yeah, a pretty rotten job at this point. Yeah, well, and some rotten representatives uh, have held well, it. There is that. I, I wanted to ask you about the um, the trip the president made. I, is it? Is it routine, or would it be routine, or were you in any way surprised that, according to reports, uh, the U.S. told Russia that Biden was going to Ukraine? Well, I would think that'd be a normal procedure. You know, if uh, he's going there, they don't want him to get killed accidentally or even on purpose, and uh, I think that's the kind of thing that you would do in a, in a normal exchange uh, with the Russians. So there's nothing else normal that's going on with the Russians right now, but at least they didn't try to bomb him while he was there. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess that's you know what what you can expect. At least they show some little bit of deference to the United States, but not bloody much. What is the significance of the vice president's remarks the other day, where she said we've determined? Uh, she kind of couched it like you know I'm a prosecutor and I'm into evidence and building a case. We've determined that there have been crimes against humanity committed by Russia in Ukraine. I mean, was that that wasn't news to anybody? But is that something you sort of have to say officially for something other you know something else to happen? Uh, no, actually, I mean there are investigations going on. Russia has as a policy, committed war crimes in Ukraine, killed civilians and targeted civilians intentionally, killed children. They've been exporting children by force uh, into Russia. There's a whole variety of things that they've done that constitute war crimes. So I, I don't know what she really accomplished by saying that, uh, and frankly, nothing much more than you know maybe gaining a, a little political point or two. Mm-hmm. Um. What do you make of the, uh, I was reading the uh, remarks of this uh, guy that's the, I guess he's the National Security and Defense Council chairman for the Ukraine government. Danilov is his name. He said, our tanks will be parked in Red Square, and that will be justice, vowing to expel all Russian troops from Ukraine's soil. Um, Is that just sort of rallying the the masses, or, I mean, that, that sounds like a much bigger project than defending your own country well certainly he's not he can't be serious about that they're not going to red square if they get the russians out of donbass and eastern ukraine they'd be very lucky at this point and you know it'd be iffy for them to try to push them out of the crimea so i think it's a maximalist position you know he wants to rally the troops and he wants to 
give every big signal uh, to the United States and the rest of NATO saying that they're not going to quit fighting. Well, we know they're not going to quit fighting. I, I think that's it's not a it's not a remark that I think even he took seriously, but I think that's the kind of thing that we should have them say, even if they mm-hmm. even if we were telling them what to say. That's the kind of thing they should be saying. Yeah. Well, how, I mean, uh, I ask you this every time we have you on. How, how is this going? Well, at this point, I really don't know. Uh, we s- still have the Russians threatening uh, another massive incursion, uh, anywhere up to 100,000 to 500,000 troops, uh, and that could start off uh, one of the Russian senior people, I forget who it was, but uh, said that they would do that on the first anniversary of the war, which is the 24th, uh, just a couple of days from now. So they may very well do that. Uh, in the meantime, U.S. munitions and a lot of other NATO countries have been contributing munitions and tanks and other armaments. And I think it's, you know, it's still going to be a big, a big fight, and it's not going to end anytime soon. I think the Russians throw more conscripts. Uh, basically, they're going to be basically uh, uh, just cannon fodder. I don't think the Russians are going to have much impact. They may very well uh, comp- try to attack on two axes. I think we talked about this last week. I would suspect they'd go uh, from the north towards Kiev and, uh, again, try to push westward from the Donbass region, and uh, they could do that very well. Uh, I don't know how far they're going to get. I don't think they're going to get terribly far. Why do we have the Secretary of State warning China not to give military aid to Russia? Is that a significant source of aid for Russia? Well, it is apparently going to be. Uh, We don't know at this point whether or not the Russians are receiving massive amounts of uh, munitions and ammunition and so forth from China, Uh, but they could very well in the coming months and coming weeks even. Uh, So that is the kind of thing that we should be warning China about, but it's not going to have any effect. I mean, don't forget, we have had in the past week or two uh, a call from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin turned down and refused by the Chinese defense minister. He wouldn't even take the call about the balloons. Mm. So, you know, these, the Chinese don't respect Biden. They don't respect Blinken. You know, they, uh, they scolded Blinken at the Munich security conference and said that uh, Biden's reaction to the balloon was hysterical. Uh, you know, this is just, uh, they don't respect the Chinese do not respect us or our president or far less our secretary of state who comes across as a complete boob most of the time. I was thinking about this over the weekend because everybody still speculates about what the balloon could or could not do, what its capabilities were. But it, it, it seems to me, Jed, that you could just send a balloon and pretty much have accomplished everything they've accomplished because the point was really to show the impotent fuming of the U.S. administration, right? I mean, I, gr- granted, you want, always want to gather intelligence or intercept communication, but even if that was just a balloon... They, they really got what they wanted. Well, they did, and, you know, we did not even interfere, you know, until the thing traversed the entire country and broadcast all of its findings, all the intelligence it gathered back to China. Then and only then, when it drifted over the Atlantic, did we shoot it down. I mean, yeah. there's... But there's some no group of Boy Scouts in Michigan, they they had a balloon, and theirs got shot down. <laughs> they had a $13 yeah, well, balloon, and they lost theirs, but but the Chinese balloon. I guess my point is it, it, it the fact that it went across the country was the most salient fact. Yes, exactly. And they, they could have had a lot of other things there. I mean, I don't want to start, you know, raising all sorts of weird possibilities, yeah. but on the other hand, you know, they could have spread another virus that way. Yeah. They could have done an awful lot of things. 
you know, they could have had an EMP device on there that uh, could have detonated and blanked out. See, half that of kind of reckless talk, Jed, is why you'll never be president. See, that's that's why I know, you I know. Say. It's just reality stinks, and, you know, it's what else can you say? I also saw where John Kirby is uh, saying there was absolutely no way the U.S. had anything to do with the uh, explosions of the Nordstrom uh, pipelines. Where are you on that story, the Seymour Hirsch reporting about it? What, where, where are you on that? Well, I think that it's unlikely that we had anything to do with it. I don't think that Mr. Biden, uh, quite frankly, would have the guts uh, to do something like that. Uh, Seymour Hirsch, you know, certainly he, decades and decades ago, he was the first reporter who broke the uh, massacre at My Lai story. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, he's a very far left reporter. And, you know, anonymous sources are anonymous sources. You can take it for what it's worth, and I don't re- literally believe it at this point. You know, there could be something that will come out 10 years from now or 20 years from now. But right now, I do not believe we did that. All right, there he is, the boy who could have been president, Jed Babin. Uh, read him in The American <laughs> Spectator. And I uh, always appreciate you joining our show, Jed. Thank you very much. Hey, it's my pleasure. Take care. Uh, Bernie Sanders was on uh, CBS's Deface the Nation over the weekend, and he just does not know what in the what they're talking about with these competency tests for elderly political candidates what why would we what in the world I remember, you may remember we talked about this a little bit last week should there be mental competency or acuity tests for people seeking office should it be for all people should it be for people over a certain age is it just a bad idea but bernie sanders says that's ageism cut number six Former Ambassador Nikki Haley is running for president, as you know, and she said there should be a mandatory mental competency test for politicians older than 75. You're 81. Do you take offense at that? What did she mean? Do I don't understand what you... <laughs> you know, no, I think that's absurd. You know, there's a level... Absurd. Yeah, it, you know, we, we are fighting racism, we're fighting sexism, we're fighting homophobia. I think we should also be fighting ageism. Trust people, look at people. And say, so, you know, this person's competent, this person's not competent. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of 40-year-olds out there who ain't particularly competent. <laughs> <laughs> All the people. Oh. You know, you look at the individual. I don't think you make a blanket statement. Okay. Oh. So okay. when it comes to the current president or the former president and their she, age range. She giggles like a schoolgirl with him. You notice look that? The- Is he that charming? Oh, you're so funny, Bertie. Oh. oh. Um, here, here's the problem with his argument. First of all, let me just take on the ageism piece of this, all right? Because I'm a, I'm a guy, I work in a young person's industry. I, I think I'm attuned to ageism. All right, I, I, I'm on the lookout. Let's just put it that way. Um, no, it is not ageist. When you are over a certain age, for your health to be evaluated by different benchmarks. If I go to my doctor when I'm 70 or 75 years old, my doctor is going to look at me and is going to look for things and is going to run tests on things that would not be the same if you're 25 or 30. That's a fact. That's not ageism. That's science, which the Democratic Party claims to have invented and be the sole defenders of. But also, his, his part about, well, just look at the person and you can decide if they're competent or not competent. Well, I'm looking at like John Fetterman, and it, I don't think he is. But I know what happened in his election. He was elected in Pennsylvania, by a combination of people that were voting against his opponent, who were voting for his political party, or who were voting for his political party to have control of the Senate. They weren't assessing his competency. I don't think 
too many of them, if you if you really could get them to answer honestly, would go, yeah, I think he's just as with it and sharp as the other guy. No. So that's where the, the competency screening comes in. Because it, Bernie Sanders is being fatuous to say that all we have to do is look at somebody and we can, we can just tell and, and we'll make the judgment. You know, when you walk past the cockpit, when you're getting on an airplane and you walk past the cockpit to go to your seat, you might look at the pilot or look in at the cockpit and see who's at the controls. And that's not in any way, shape, or form an opportunity for you or me to go, well, this guy looks like he can do it. You know, I'm, I mean, they, there's obviously physicals and exams and acuity testing that goes way beyond us sizing him up or her up before we take our seat. It's just a ridiculous answer. I mean, it may not be the, it may not be something we're ever going to do, but Bernie Sanders is smarter than that. He knows better than that. And, and, and you know, well, I think we have in a way reverse ageism. You know, I really do. Uh, when it comes to the presidency and the politics. I mean, look what's happening right now. Okay. I mean, right now, it looks like people over 70 have a, have a hammer lock on the presidency. I'm wondering if we're ever going to have a president under 70. And the problem with it is w- w- the way politics now works is people spend so much time building up, uh, coalitions and pitting people against people and calling in IOUs and, 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 you know, feathering the nest with, with pork and, and, and favors that our system is really built to reward people that have, that have spent their entire lives lusting for power. So it's nice to sit here and go, oh yeah, we'll have, you know, a 38-year-old president or a 42-year-old president like we had before. But, but I mean, not the way we're doing it right now. Not the way we're doing it right now. I, I don't think there's a disadvantage. I don't think anybody's proposing to disadvantage people in their 60s, 70s for running for president. I think they're, I think they're sitting pretty, pretty good right now, don't you? They don't, they don't seem to be having a hard time right now. We, we've just had our two oldest presidents, bing, bing, back to back. I think I don't think age ageism is a thing. So whether you like the Nikki Haley idea or not, give me a give me a break. Did you hear that um, the Speaker McCarthy is going to turn over forty thousand hours of surveillance footage from the Capitol on January 6, twenty one, for public airing? But he gave it to the Tucker Carlson show. Now I like Tucker Carlson. I've said that before. Um, I'm not, this is not a criticism of Tucker Carlson. He's one of the smartest people on television. I, I find I agree with him on a lot of things, not everything. I'm very happy that this video footage is no longer being kept from us like we're, you know, irritable children. But I don't get why you would give it to just him. I don't know why you would give him, according to Axios, it's exclusive coverage to him and his staff. Does that make sense to you? We're going to talk about that. It is a beautiful day. I. Mm. It's funny, though. Everywhere I went today and everyone I talked to, Christian, was working. It was just a regular uh, work day. So except for the kids and school and stuff, uh, it didn't didn't seem like a 
holiday. No, it didn't because you know my my wife teaches up in Kerrville. They're all mm-hmm. off at work. And then true story, mm-hmm. I take my son this morning, thinking I was going to sign over one of our cars to him. So off we go to the Kerrville tax office, and guess what? <laughs> Oh, that was closed. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. It's a weird mix, yeah. Mm. So did you see this place? There's a pizza place in Columbus, Ohio, that put a sign up that says, Now Hiring, and then underneath it says, Non-Stupid People. (laughs) Are you going to (laughs) apply? Well, I feel like I could. (laughs) Is that true? Yeah, Santino's Pizzeria. Oh, is it true that I'm not stupid? I I believe I'm not. (laughs) Right, right. I'll leave that to others, I guess. But I guess I'll find out in the job interview. But anyway, yeah, they put up this sign, uh, now hiring non-stupid people. And one of the local television stations did a, so what do you think about it uh, deal where they went out and talked to people. And some people were offended. Now, if you're offended by that sign, aren't you kind of confessing? Yep. Yep. That's I mean, a- I'm, I'm, I'm with these people. I mean, I, granted, not, putting the sign up isn't going to guarantee that you won't get stupid people, but, uh, cause stupid people just wander in no matter what the sign says. But I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get where they're coming from. It's frustrating. That's, that's like an inadvertent admission. Kind of, yeah. But then, like yeah. you said, I mean, does a stupid, I mean, can a stupid person read? Could they read the sign to start? Well, there's with. different levels of stupid, you know. Like I, I think, I think, you know, we're, we're, the problem we have in the world today is not stupid people who can't read. It's stupid. It's, it's people that are just stupid in some ways, but just competent enough to get into positions where they can foul everything up. That's the people you know? who are offended, right there. I call it functional stupidity, where they can <laughs> get hired, but then they can't do the job that they were hired to do. Yeah. Because anyway. ig- ignorance can be fixed, stupid can't, right? Yeah. There you go. All right. 210-599-5555. Uh, the owners of Santino's Pizza say they're getting more positive comments than negative, uh, but there are people who felt it was uh, rude or insulting. And and so they put a, a, a lot of businesses have help-wanted signs. You see them all the time. But there it says, now hiring, and then underneath in smaller letters, non-stupid people. Now, if you own a business or you do the hiring for your business, do you, do you get what they're saying there? I mean, did you, did you wish you could say that? Did you wish you could put that sign up? Did you wish you could put that in your indeed.com listing? But you couldn't, right? Or maybe they wouldn't let you or your company wouldn't let, I'm sure there's a lot of, companies where the hr would say oh we can't we can't we can't do that but i mean it's not like you're discriminating against a class of people stupid people are not a class there's not like it's not like there's stupidism is there i mean maybe there is i don't think so i happen to be a stupid hyphenated american and i i resent this i i feel like i would not be given a fair shake at being hired there you know i don't think that's a real thing so they, um, they're getting a lot of attention, and the picture's gone viral. They've had the sign up now for about a month, and they say it's also gotten them more customers. So people are voting with their wallets, even though you know there's going to be some cranks who will say, that's very offensive. I, just, I, I find that to be discriminatory. Aren't we allowed to look for 
competence? Aren't we allowed to discriminate on behalf of capability, intelligence? Isn't that, that's okay, right? I mean, you know, when, you, when you're hired for your first job, I mean, if we're going to be honest, we talked the other day a while back, we did a thing about first jobs and what was your first job. And if, if you think about it, the, the stupidity rate in a first job is really high. Because when you're just a kid and you've never had a job before, I mean, you've worked at home or you've done things for your folks, but when you, when you go get your first paying job, you are somebody they have to train, somebody they have to babysit, somebody they have to maybe make allowances for. You, you might screw some stuff up. You know, my first job was in a store. I, a couple of the first nights, the cash register didn't count out right, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, that's, that's because you're just starting and, and businesses know when they hire people at the entry level, it's kind of an investment. You don't make the money right away. You're not valuable to them right away, but you will become that if you're the right, if you have the right frame of mind and, and then you do. So the stupidity thing is, you know, we're all, we're all kind of stupid when we start. I guess what they're really saying is, um, not so much that you have to know everything to come work at this pizza place. But that, you know, be like, be a thinker, you know. Use your, like our parents used to say, use your head. Maybe that's what the sign should say. Now hiring people who use their head. That's a slogan we need to bring back. You know, think. And that's not just entry-level people, because if you think about it, have you ever been in a situation where you're doing business with a, with a company or, a, a you know, a transaction and it's not a person who's new, and it's not a person who's young, and it's not like this is their first day, but you realize they can't think creatively or work around the problem that you have brought them. So you know what you need. You just need them to do this and this, or just, you know, and they're like, I, 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 we can't do that, or I can't do And you don't really know sometimes if they can't do it, or if they work for people that don't allow any, like, creative thinking. I mean, just please the customer. You know, don't give away the store. But, I mean, people ought to have enough latitude to, within reason, solve problems, right? Use your head. Be an independent thinker. So I always wonder, is, is that dying off? Like, are people just not able to do it anymore? Or is it more that... Companies and organizations don't allow them to do it anymore. And, you know, there's a whole body of thought, and there's motivational speakers, and there have been books written about the fear factor in the workplace. People do their jobs today fearfully. There's a lot of companies where everyone's afraid. Everyone's afraid of being laid off. Everyone's afraid of being let go. Everyone's afraid of being downsized. Everyone thinks they're next. Maybe it's a legitimate fear. Maybe it's just poor leadership. But I think that's a lot of it. I I don't really think we're getting dumber, but we come across as dumber when we're afraid and when our company won't let us do anything. You have to you have to stay in the lines and color in the lines. Just read what's on the screen. You can only give the customer, you know, this or this. Anyway, 210-599-5555, Santino's Pizzeria, Columbus, Ohio, now hiring 
non-stupid people, the sign says on the front of the business. Sean is on KTSA. Sean, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I agree. I think you should be able to say, hey, I want to hire somebody who's competent. But to me, this feels like a grievance, like they're taking it out on former employees who they didn't think were smart enough. And mm-hmm. it's like going on social media and posting about your ex, like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm only looking for people who are thoughtful. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Don't be like my last. Don't be like my last girlfriend or my last boyfriend. Exactly. That's kind of how it comes across to me. Yeah. Well, maybe that is. I mean, that probably is true. They probably have had some numbnuts that worked for them. But is it wrong to let people know that you're kind of going to, you know, expect more? Oh no, absolutely not. I, I totally agree. But it feels a little bit petty to me the way they're going about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, to me, I would like to think that somebody sees that and and says, "Hey, I'm a smart person. I'm going to walk in there and." And work for these people. I would like to think it kind of buoyed somebody up, but I see your point too, which is that it looks like they're, you know, uh, airing past grievances. Would you be offended by a business that put a, a, a hiring sign, a banner, on the front of the store says "Now hiring non-stupid people"? It would make me want to check it out. It would make me want to go in there and see how their pizza is, because I like the I like the approach. I mean. Putting the sign up doesn't guarantee you won't get stupid applicants, but at least you're at least you're 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 letting it be known. You know, we expect you to have a head on your shoulders. Use it for something besides a hat rack. That was another saying, right? All those sayings our parents had, right? Use your head. Use your head for something other than a hat rack. All that good stuff. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. It's okay to be new. It's okay to have your first day on the job. It's okay not to know how to make a pizza or ring up a sale. But you got to be smart enough to listen and learn. You got to be smart enough to show up. You got to be smart enough to please the customer. You know, that's not offensive. If you said we're not hiring people who were, you know, um, of a certain race or creed or ethnicity, it's a different thing. There's no logic to that. There's just cruelty and, I guess, what? Kind of, kind of, kind of ignorance, really, right? Because they're there you're presuming that those factors, those qualities, just add up to somebody that couldn't possibly work for you. But, I mean, nobody wants stupid people. They just have the willingness to put it on their sign. I'd, I'd go, if I, if I lived in Columbus, I'd check out their pizza. Uh, 210-599-5555, and Glenn is on the radio. Glenn, what do you think about the sign? Well, Jack, I can't agree with you anymore, and um, people think I'm crazy driving down the street nodding my head up and down as you're explaining this, but I've, I've been a small business owner for 40 years now, and and I've been involved with this very very closely with what you're talking about. And I'll even take it one step further. I've actually said this to people that I've interviewed. You do know that a requirement to work here means you have to actually come to work. Mm. Yeah. I believe you have to say that. I've had people uh, that I've hired, and a guy worked a couple of days, and I never heard from him or saw him again. He yeah. never called in. I just, yeah. I don't know if he died. I don't know what happened, but yeah. 
you have to come to work. That's mm-hmm. part of the requirement for the job. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. You're, you're I, to me, and tell me if you agree or disagree, Glenn. The hard part is not training somebody to do the job. The hard part is when they just don't have enough common sense to take what you've shown them and just rinse and repeat. I mean, that's the that's the thing. You know when you hire them, you've got to put the time in. They're kind of a loss to you at first. You're not making money off a new employee right away because you've got to train them. You might have to kind of stay with them or babysit them. You accept that because you figure eventually they're going to turn into an asset. That's the hard part. Oh, absolutely. Give me, give me a person that shows up on time and stays all day and doesn't call in every other day. Give me that person and they are dumb as a, as a box of rocks. I'll take them any day. I can train that guy that shows up. Yeah. Well, I mean, if a, if a person shows up and displays a willingness to learn the, the job, I think right there, that tells you they're not stupid. Sure. I, yeah. 100%. But you would, you would think, right? I mean, you right. would think you don't right. have to talk about this. But right. you do. You yeah. have to yeah. say it out loud. Yeah. And you feel like an idiot to say it out loud. No. No, you do. They had to put it on their sign. All right, Glenn, good job. Thank you. Appreciate having you. Thank you for listening to us. 210-599-5555. Are you offended by the sign? Is there a way somebody could or should be offended by a sign that says, now hiring non-stupid people? Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I worry about this. Like when we were, when we were kids and we were old enough to work in whatever the age was and whatever state you lived in, I remember I got a job right away. I wanted one. My parents wanted me to get one. Um, and whether, you know, whether they wanted it more than I did, I don't exactly recall, but I know I wanted to go to work. I wanted to start having money and making money. And anyhow, I started and, um, I've been working ever since. I think I was 14 or 15, whatever the minimum age was in Massachusetts at that time. I, I noticed with my friends, a lot of their kids, are now 18, 19, 20, in college, just fine, still actually haven't had a job. You know, do what you've got to do, but somewhere in there, I don't care what you got going on, you play sports, you're in orchestra, you've got extracurriculars, you're... I just, I, I, I think that's a, I think having that first job, no matter what it is, I don't care what it is, that is... That's a crucial building block, you know? That's like a big missing piece. Because if, if you don't get that under your belt while you're still a wet-behind-the-ears kid, then when you get to be in your 20s, you might have a little bit of an attitude. You might think, well, I, I want to, you know, I want to hit the ball and start out on second base. It's like, no, no. In other words, I guess what I'm saying is it's much easier to do your first job and to endure the lowest rung of the ladder when you're 15. You know, not that you can't have an attitude, because I did, many of us did, but I mean, you know, it's just easier. Get that done. Get that knocked out when you're 15. You wait till you're 20, I just think it's a different experience. 210-599-5555. So yeah, this pizza place in Columbus, Ohio, put a sign or a banner on the front of the store. It says, now hiring non-stupid people. And the uh, owner says they mean it. And uh, we want people that can take orders and give service. And uh, 
we we do mean it. It is humor. We aren't trying to target anybody or be rude, but we do mean it. A lot of people we hire just don't want to work, like Glenn said. There's no work ethic, so that's the meaning of it. And they say their business has gone up since they put the, since they put the sign up about a month or so ago. I, I saw this over the weekend. By the way, speaking of pizza places, i got to tell you about a stupid thing I did. You're, you know how much I love pizza, so you're going to understand how crazy this is. This is, a, this is an absolutely true story. This happened to me yesterday. So I go to a pizza place that I've never been to before. And I order a pizza. One. And it was very noisy. I'm, I'm making excuses now. It was very noisy and crowded. And I was very hungry. So the lady behind the counter takes my order and says, I, I couldn't believe she said this, but what she said was, it's buy one, get one free. And I was flabbergasted. Who does that? Who does that? And I, I really didn't know if I'd heard her right. And I asked her to repeat. I'm sorry, what did you say? She said it again. It's buy one, get one free. I'm saying it more clearly than she did, because remember, it was very noisy and crowded. And in my confusion, and I'm going to go to my grave regretting this, in my confusion, I actually said, Jack Riccardi actually said, oh, no, that's okay, no thank you. I, What? So if they remember me, I'm that, I'm that rich guy that didn't need the free pizza, apparently. What the hell? Never thought I'd, I'd see the day I would turn down free pizza. Well, I don't know what is wrong with me. It may be time to retire, put me out to pasture, put me on a flaming canoe and send me out into the, uh, I, it's just, I just was so, have you ever heard like an offer that was not only too good to be true, but like shockingly too good to be true? I'm like, no, oh no, no, no thanks. It was like she had offered to, you know, from my shoulders or something. It was so unexpected. So anyway, maybe that's what listen, the problem was. Is that listen you, carefully? I I'm probably the only person they've ever had say no to that. Who says no to that? <laughs> and I mean, and I didn't even need the second one. But hey, I could have taken it home, stuck it in the fridge, heated it up this week. I mean, I would have found a way, given it to somebody, dropped it off at somebody's house. I mean, there's all kinds of things I could have. Done. I don't know what I was thinking. I just. I froze up, and then I got outside in the, to the car with the pizza, and it was like, I've never had more regret. This is it. So I just thought you'd... I guess that was a that was not a non-stupid thing to do at a pizza place. So we were talking earlier about um, the passing of Red McCombs and um, this notion of doers versus politicians that leadership is about doing things. And here's a guy that never had a political office, never won an election, uh, started out very humbly. And he made a lot of money, but he also did a lot of good along the way, created a lot of opportunity, lifted up a lot of people. I'm not even talking about the money he donated. I'm not talking about the money he gave away. I'm talking about when he created businesses, it lifted up communities, it lifted up people and uh, people's employment, opportunities um he provided goods and services people wanted in a manner that they wanted them and it, that so contrasts with politicians 
everything they do, they do by force. They um, pick winners and losers. They take credit for things they didn't do. They do it with your money. And we call them leaders. We, we complain about our leaders. They're not our leaders. In no state, in no city, in no part of this country are the true leaders the people that are that have the highest political titles. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't coincidentally leaders who also get into politics, just like there are people who play golf and get into politics or people that, you know, know how to embroider and get into politics, but they're not the same thing. And what we what we say when what, what I'm sorry, what we mean when we say leader is what people like Red McCombs did. And not just rich people. I mean, Mother Teresa was a leader. Doers. we got to have doers. I saw over the weekend that um, Richard Belzer died. Do you know who Richard Belzer was, the comedian? Most people probably know him best from being on Law & Order SVU. He was Detective Munch for many years on that particular edition of the Law & Order series, Law & Order SVU. Uh, and before that, he was a very successful uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, Richard Belzer was 78. He passed away over the weekend at his home in France. A writer friend of his told The Hollywood Reporter his last words were, F you, mother effer, <laughs> which sounds like Richard Belzer. I can, I can believe that. Um. I always thought, I don't know how you feel about it, I'm a big Law & Order fan. I always thought that casting him as a police detective was one of the most genius things anybody ever did. And they didn't do it for Law & Order. They did it for a show called Homicide, which ran on NBC, I want to say in the 80s, I think. I was a big fan of Homicide, maybe the early 90s. But um, that that show, when that was on NBC, that was the best show on television, in my opinion. Um, and he his character started on Homicide. And the character was so good that they wrote him into Law & Order, and he actually appeared on several other shows as this fictional detective. But, I mean, I, I don't know much about casting or who does it and how they do it, but whoever looked at comedian Richard Belzer, and said, you know, that guy ought to play a police officer. That's somebody that's incredibly good at what they do, because I would never have thought of that. Just like I would never have thought to make Ice-T a police officer, and that's genius. But yeah, Richard Belzer, very funny guy, um, who turned out to be a, a great actor and added a lot to all of these shows. And then something else about Richard Belzer that I'd forgotten about. M- not too many years ago, so very late in his life, he um, became very interested in the Kennedy assassination. Well, he was a history buff all of his life. But he wrote a book called Hit List. And in fact, I ordered it from Amazon because I'd forgotten about it. And I never did get to read it when it came out. It came out about six years ago. This was a book about the mysterious deaths 
of a number of people who were direct eyewitnesses to the Kennedy assassination. And is he's not telling you in the book it was a conspiracy. He's just saying, isn't this interesting that all of these people whose eyewitness accounts might have been important or long-lived uh, met with these very mysterious and early uh, deaths. And that is, in fact, true, although I guess the other point of view would be, well, it's a coincidence, things happen, but a lot of them, a lot of them met either an untimely death, an accidental death, just a weird, you know, fell off of a building, you know, impaled themselves in their home kind of death. So I don't know. Anyway, he wrote that book uh, with another guy, and uh, Richard Belzer was 78. When I was a kid, feminism was in its full flower. This was the 70s. Feminism was you know, was a power, was a force. We were going to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, Gloria Steinem, Betty Friedan, right? You remember all that, right? And the thing about womanhood was it was very clearly defined. It was upheld. Women upheld women. Men were expected to do the same. We didn't have any of this namby-pamby, I don't know what a woman is. Gloria Steinem would have cut your head off. You'd said to her, I don't know what a woman is. I can't define a woman. Right? I don't know where that went, all that energy. But there was a story the other day that made me think about it. It Made me think, what happened to that? What happened to, I am woman, hear me roar? Remember that, Helen Reddy and all that? You know. And I'll tell you the story. See what you make of it. So the other night I saw a story on uh, Tucker's show about a young woman in Florida named Nishali Alma. Uh, she was in her, um, she was, just, she was in the, the the fitness room of her apartment complex in Tampa, and she was just doing her exercises, working out. And there was a guy that was um, unable to open the door. Usually you have to card in or something, so she just thought she'd open the door for him, being friendly. And he attacked her viciously. And here she is telling that story and talking about it the other night on Fox News Channel. Take a listen to this. Um, in my head, you know, whenever it was happening, uh, I wasn't really fearful at all. In my head, it was just, I got to fight him. I got to do something, you know. And, and he was equal to me. He wasn't bigger than me. He wasn't anything more than my size. And I kind of took that to my advantage to my own head, and I fought him. Mom always told me, don't let anybody ever approach you or touch you if you don't know them. And as soon as yeah. he approached me, I knew I had to push him off or do something. What advice, having lived through it, would you give people watching? Um, you know, like I said, some people forget their key fob, and they do let people in um, for the kindness of their hearts. But always be cautious, always watch your back. And if you're ever in that situation, fight back. Why isn't... Nishali Alma, a big, like, heroine to women and to all of us. Why are we not, what, what, why is her name not a household name today? Why aren't women saying, yes, we need more of this. I want my daughter to do this. I want, I want, a, I want her story repeated. And the guy that did it was uh, been charged with sexual battery, false imprisonment, and kidnap attempted kidnapping. Um, she, the video went viral. She fights with him. She rolls around. She's wrestling with him. Uh, he finally, literally, gives up and runs away. 
He can't take any more of, of what she's given him. Now, I, I guess I just, when I saw this, I mean, first of all, my heart went out to her, and I was happy that she was okay. As the father of a daughter, this is your worst nightmare, right? I mean, dads, I mean, come on, right? But I, I also thought to myself, isn't this kind of what, back in the day, I am woman and feminism and equal, isn't this what it was supposed to lead to? Isn't this what it was supposed to look like? So why isn't she, not Kamala Harris, why isn't she the exemplar for young women? Why would a society that, on the one hand, claims it doesn't know what a woman is, or anybody can be a woman, or if you feel like a woman, but on the other hand, a society that still says um, it's important to break glass ceilings, it's important to have women in positions of visible authority and influence, and when we don't have it, we need to get it. Where there hasn't been a first, there needs to be a first. We have a president who ran saying, I promise to appoint women. I, it's, it's the highest priority. Why isn't Nishaliyama uh, somebody that our society upholds? Let me go even further. I'm a little confused as to what we're telling women these days in terms of, like, politics. Now, again, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Feminism feminism was full-throated. There wasn't anything women couldn't do and wouldn't do. And if they hadn't done it, they were going to do it soon. And you look out because they were going to do it better than anybody. Right? Why now is the message to women, oh, you, you need to elect Democrats or you'll be, you'll be helpless. You'll be hopeless. It'll be like handmaid's tale. If you don't elect us and keep us in power and give us all the power, you'll have nothing. Republicans want to put you in the kitchen barefoot and keep you pregnant. And how is that an empowering? Message. That's just good for Democrats. That's not good for women. I mean, yeah, it works great if you're the Democratic Party. This, you know, same thing they tell black people. Oh, it's all over for you. If the other guys get in there, it's all over. You're going back into slavery. The, the man who is now president said literally that they'll put y'all back in chains. He said 11 years ago. You can Google it. I'm just confused. If you're about empowering women, if you are trying to convey to girls, young girls, you are strong, you can do anything, then the Shaliyama should be on posters and you know cereal boxes and you know the Tonight Show and what have you. I mean, help me out because the opposite has happened. Her story came and went very quickly. And that's it. I'm not, I'm not trying to make more of her than she is. She's a she's a, a a person that had confidence. She's a person that decided to fight back. She she chose not to be a victim. It's kind of incredible. She's only 24 years old, so she's grown up in the era of the glorification of victimhood. I mean, people that aren't victims of things try to claim victimhood. It's so appealing and attractive to be a victim. You make stuff up just to be one. But I, I, I would think 
if the people that talk a good game about womanhood meant it, then we'd be hearing about her. We'd be sick of hearing about her. You couldn't get away from her. And that's not what happened, is it? So what does that tell you about the real product versus the claims of the product? The claim of the product is we're all about women. We care about women. We're the only people who do. The left is, but that's not really how it works, is it? She's strong. She didn't need any help. She prevailed. She knew she could and she did. This is like the, this is like the stuff we, these are like the stories we tell around the campfire, right? What do you think's going on here? So if you're a dad, if you're a grandfather, if you're a mom, um, I'm just, I'm curious. If you haven't heard the story, I'll play it here for you again in a second. The young woman is working out in her apartment complex fitness room one night. This happened last month. I saw the story on Fox a few nights ago. So she's down there doing her workout. These places are open 24 hours as long as you have a key card or a thing to open the door. And a guy wants to come in, and, and he appears to be having trouble with the door, so she opens it for him, which is not probably the best decision, but okay, she was just being kind. She figured he lived there. He immediately attacks her, savagely. Uh, she fights for her life and fights him off. Uh, he tried to rape her. He was arrested. He has been uh, charged with multiple crimes. Um, she made a snap decision to fight back and she believed she could so she mustered the strength to do what she needed to do she's not i watched her interview she's not you know 7 feet tall she's just a regular looking person so here's my question do, would you want your daughter your granddaughter to fight like Nishali Alma did. Is this what we want them to do? Do you like what she did? Are you proud of her? Is she a good example for young women? And if so, where? why isn't she, you know, we, we live in this age of social media influencers, right? People that are famous for being famous. Why aren't they telling her story far and wide? Why isn't this a big deal? And isn't this in line with what feminism used to promote? She's the living, breathing embodiment of what they talked about and preached for decades. You don't need a man. She didn't, she didn't call for help. She was the help. She didn't hope a man would show up. She fought the guy. I am woman. There it is. Here's her interview or part of it with Tucker Carlson. Take a listen to this. Um, in my head, you know, whenever it was happening, uh, I wasn't really fearful at all. In my head, it was just, I got to fight him. I got to do something, you know, and, and he was equal to me. He wasn't bigger than me. He wasn't anything more than my size. And I kind of took that to my advantage to my own head, and I fought him. Mom always told me, don't let anybody ever approach you or touch you if you don't know them. And as soon as yeah. he approached me, I knew I had to push him off or do something. What advice, having lived through it, would you give people watching? Um, you know, like I said, some people forget their key fob, and they do let people in. 
um, for their kindness of their hearts. But always be cautious. Always watch your back. And if you're ever in that situation, fight back. I'm proud of her. If it was my daughter, I'd be, in, I'd be proud of her. I tell her the only thing I would do differently is not, not open the door for some guy. That's it. But, I mean, that's, that's anybody could make that mistake. 210-599-5555. Shelly is on KTSA. Shelly, good evening. Hi, Jack. How are you on this Monday? I am doing well. How are you? Living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> so I, what do you think I about this story? Agree. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I am beyond proud of her. Um, that's exactly what I would want my daughter to do, who's 20. Um, it's how I was raised. It's how I think I brought my daughter up. Um, but I, I have to confess, I'm a, I'm a reformed Democrat, for lack of a better word. Um, born and raised in Chicago, I've been in San Antonio for eight years. And now that I'm older and wiser, um, it was kind of shoved down your throat. And it's, it's kind of a message that I just see. I always feel like there's a branding issue that the Republicans have. Um, the Democrats are really good at kind of sneaking those things in. Just like you said, it's, oh, it's a handmaiden's tale. That's what's coming if you vote Republican. Mm-hmm. Just the way they get their message in there had me thinking and voting that way until Trump. That was the first time I voted Republican ever. Mm-hmm. It's not only the Democrats and the Republicans. I, I wish I could understand where the feminists all went to. It's like the it's like the aliens took them all away. You, there were so many people saying in the seventies and eighties, Shelley, that this is what women needed to be like. And now that they are like it, why aren't they the heroines or the, 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 the exemplars? Now you're kind of, we've, we've kind of gone too far off the reservation. I don't mean to say it that way. Um, but we have become bolder and stronger. And now those type of women, it's kind of flipping. Um, I myself had to work very, very hard. I'm now a director at a company. That took me a heck of a long time. But again, kind of now, whenever I'm aggressive or I kind of voice my opinion mm-hmm. and have something to say, mm-hmm. it, I'm kind of starting to get that feeling again, like, oh, little girl, mm-hmm. hush, hush, you know, you're getting a little too, you know, as my mom used to say, you know, too big for your britches. <laughs> right, yeah. right. We, yeah, I get that. I, I, right, I understand what you're but, saying about that. I, But I guess what I'm thinking about here is, isn't this the kind of self-sufficiency that feminism was going to lead to? And if if this plan. is what it if this is what it's supposed to look like, why isn't she a big deal? Yeah, it's disgraceful. I mean, I wish I had a, a big platform to to praise her even more. Yeah, it, it's very sad. I would. I'm beyond proud of her, and that's exactly what yeah. we should do. And how we should react for sure. We're yeah. it's sad. She's she's a hero. She absolutely is. Definitely more than Kamala Harris ever could dream of being. Well, Shelly, I'm glad you called. It's nice to hear from you. I hope you'll hope you'll call our show again and thank you. Appreciate your call. And I agree with you as a also as the parent of a daughter. Uh I'm gonna make absolutely sure my daughter sees this story and and knows about it. And and again, um Every everybody's different. Every situation's different. But I I think in this situation, it's hard for me to imagine a parent 
who wouldn't want their son, their daughter, I don't care what your political party is or you know who you voted for, you, you want your son or daughter, uh, for that matter, to fight back, defend yourself. You know, I worry about this um, this new attitude we have that tells people to, to just run away from everything. Because if that's what we're telling people, the unspoken half of that, it, if you run away, that might be, in, in certain situations, that might be the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. But running away means somebody else has to handle the attacker, the bad guy. Sometimes you have to be the one. You have to be. This moment had no other, there was no other way for this woman to emerge from this. She was either going to be sitting in the back of a police car, giving a report on her rape or her beating, or maybe even worse than that, who knows, or she was going to inflict pain on this guy and make him run away like a scalded, you know, dog, as the saying goes. Apologies to dogs. But you know what I'm saying, right? So you couldn't. there wasn't a politician you could depend on in this moment. There wasn't somebody you could say, well, if I'd only voted for her or only voted for him. That wasn't what this was. We want our kids to be as self-sufficient as she was, don't we? I think we do. I know I do. 210-599-5555. So I'm just curious to know what your take on it is, what you think of what she did, and and why you think this is not um, a story that is being really, you know, promoted to young women, whether they're in college campuses, whether they're in their first apartment. This is a 24-year-old woman. I'm imagining this might be her first, maybe she's living out on her own for the first time, or this is her first apartment. I mean, this is, there's thousands and thousands of young women who are going to be in exactly the position she was tonight, somewhere in a fitness room, in a, in the back of a store, you know, in a parking lot. Isn't this what we want? 210-599-5555. And Jerry is on KTSA. Hi, Jerry. Hey, how you doing, sir? Um, Look, uh, my take is the reason why they're not making a big deal out of this young girl doing what she did to this guy is because, uh, I, I don't mean to sound racist or anything, but, you know, she's she's white and he's black. So mm-hmm. they really don't want some kind mm-hmm. of uproar going on, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had thought of that. Um, and... It is sad if that is the reason they're shying away from the story because, again, um, while I get it and I know what you're saying, and no, I don't think you're racist to notice that. How could we How could we not notice that, right? Yeah, right. Yes, sir. I mean, I give her a lot of credit for what she did, you know. But if the, if the message of feminism meant anything, if all those years and all that yelling and screaming, if that meant anything, this is what it meant. Right, exactly. You know, I'm more impressed by this than if you tell me you're putting women on, you know, uh, missile cruisers or in, you know, the bunkers with men or what. This is what impresses me. This, this, this girl had strength and confidence in herself and, 
this is what you want your children to have before they even make a career decision. This is how you want them to feel about themselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. She's got my vote. I'll stay. I'll I'll uh, support her one hundred percent. Yeah, but Jerry, I don't think I don't think you're wrong to to wonder if that was the reason there were people that didn't like this, uh, you know, promote or or spread this uh, this story. Thank you for the call. Um, in any event, I'm I'm curious to get your take on it. Two ten five nine nine. Fifty-five, fifty-five. She's in the gym. She's working out. She's by herself. There's no one around. There's probably not going to be anyone around at that hour. And this guy comes in to attack her, and clearly that is his objective. Uh, and it turns out he had he had uh, attacked other women before. So she was right to think that was going to happen. That is what happened. They fought. It's all on video. And she prevailed. And he's under arrest. And... I'm not suggesting she should get the Nobel Prize or be invited to the White House, although we certainly give prizes and White House invitations to people for a hell of a lot less than this. All I'm saying is, hey, feminism, I was around for your heyday, and now you've gone curiously quiet when the very thing you said was your goal happened. I'm wondering if you really meant it. Was feminism just a, a trick to get women to depend on the Democratic Party? Was it just a was it just a ploy to pull them from depending on one group of men to another group of men? Because I think that's what it was. That's what it looks like. We're still going to have them dependent. They're just going to always and only depend on Democrats. They're going to believe that they can't do anything. They can't do anything unless we're in power. Well, that's how women are voting, so that worked. So maybe this story is inconvenient for them, and it may be inconvenient for them in more than one way, as, as Jerry points out. 210-599-5555. Did you ever in your life, when you were a kid or later or now, want to be president? It's okay. No one's going to laugh. Well, I mean, yeah, there may be people. I, I'm not going to laugh. I can't say what people listening will do. But I won't laugh. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be president. Apparently, the the desire or the aspiration to be president is in decline. That's not scientific, but I, I, I was reading a number of articles that came out at different times over the last 25 or 30 years, and it was like in each survey that it was either CNN or USA Today or whoever, when they would go and they would talk to a bunch of, of kids the percentage of them that dreamed of being president one day, as as time went on, the percentage went down. Kind of tells you something, right? Maybe about the the caliber of the presidency or the people in it, or I guess maybe too just like knowledge of history. Because I think when you're young and you're inspired to seek the presidency or want to be president someday, that's a dream of the future, but it's also a connection to the past. There's something you've heard, something you've seen that that touches that off, right? 210-599-5555. Uh, former President Jimmy Carter on everybody's thoughts and minds uh, tonight as his uh, family announces he is spending his remaining days in hospice care, no longer seeking medical treatment. So, um People kind of reflecting on him a little bit. I I said earlier, and I'm not trying to be cruel. I I don't I don't want to revise 
how I felt about his presidency in light of his illness. But I will say he made a good ex-president. You know, his his conduct as an ex-president was was really a cut above. Now, um, we're talking about the hypocrisy of feminism and the Shali Alma. Here's another one, and I was going to bring this up earlier, and I'm just so sick and tired of Marjorie Taylor Greene. She gets way too much time. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's kind of a whacked-out, wigged-out Republican, said something on Twitter, I don't have it in front of me, but something to the effect of the the red states and the blue states ought to get a divorce or, you know, um, maybe we need to just, you know, go our separate ways. And it's an old concept. People have been talking about this for years. We've had callers to the show. We've done shows about this. Do we need, are, are there really two Americas and red and blue and so forth? So anyway, she, she put that out there and people are reacting to it. But what was interesting was how many, um, how many, uh, angry reactions she got from people who, in everything else they say about America, run it down. It's racist. It's rigged. It's crooked. We're living on Native American soil that we stole from them. Our history is a crock, 1619 project, etc., etc. We were never great. Those same people, they see her tweet and they're like, no way, you can't leave this country. We can't break this country up. You have to stay loyal. This is true. It's true. One, one woman said that's treason. What Marjorie Taylor Greene put out. It's a little confusing, right? Because I would think if you really think this country is systemically racist and was built on slavery and built by slaves and we stole the land from the Native Americans and then we turned around and brought the slaves over to, to build everything and we're all rich because of them, I wouldn't think you would have a big problem with breaking it up. I would think you'd be saying, let me swing the hammer first. That's interesting. So you got to stay loyal to the country that they hate and claim is based on falsehoods and theft. <laughs> but but you got to stay loyal to it. I I don't get it. It's a very weird kind of love they have. It's a, I can't quite relate to that kind of love. I've asked this question a lot over the last several days. I'm still wondering, where is the climate cult? Where is the climate cult? when it comes to Palestine, Ohio. Where are the where are the, the protesters? What, why isn't anybody throwing soup on a painting or chaining themselves or laying down in traffic or where's Greta? Where's Al Gore? Where's Al Gore and Greta? I mean, it's hilarious. These people never stop talking about hypothetical stuff that that usually never happens. They've been wrong more than anything. But when you have an actual environmental and ecological disaster, because there's no money in it for them, there's no power in it for them, they're nowhere to be found. 
See, there's no way to make a new law or to take away people's choices or to make them do something you've always wanted them to do. This is not opportunistic. Palestine, Ohio is just sad and tragic, and they probably don't want to go there anyway. I mean, for crying out loud, they probably don't want to get it on their shoes or have to drink the water or touch anybody there. So they're not showing up. But it's interesting how absolutely irate and sure they were. Remember when we were going to do the Keystone XL pipeline? Remember when we were going to take the oil sands from Canada down into this country to refine and use that oil? And remember they said it would be incredibly dangerous to transport that stuff in a pipeline or on a train or in a truck because you could have an accident. And don't you realize, and now that we've had one, where are they? They would not let us transport oil. But an entire community has been permanently affected by a chemical spill, and they don't seem very interested. And I think it's because these are not people they're very interested in, too. I mean, so first of all, there's no real opportunity to make hay or make money. But then I think we got to be honest about this, and I'm not saying I feel this way. I know you don't feel this way, but let's be honest. You've seen the people of Palestine, Ohio. They're they're good people. They're they're regular people. They're not of interest to the World Economic Forum. They're not of interest at Davos or the Aspen Summit or you know what have you. They're not of interest to the Hampton. You know, the, the the crowd at the Hamptons on weekends or the beautiful people with beach houses at Malibu. They're not interested in the glitzy seven-figure ecolo- ecological fundraisers in Beverly Hills, right? I mean, the Hollywood types don't want to go there and make a movie about this or tell their story. These used to be the kind of people that we, we called the heart and soul of America, or the backbone of America. I'm not saying they're not. They still are. But we don't even pretend to believe that anymore. Well, this happened in flyover country, and so it's being treated that way. That's just the way it is. I hate to say it. They asked Sherrod Brown, who's uh, one of the U.S. senators from Ohio. He was on CNN. And I don't know what came over the anchor on CNN to ask this question of Senator Brown, but she asked him, would you drink the water there? (laughs) And um, he didn't answer her. He said that he's heard that the mayor and his family would drink the water. But the question was, would you drink it? Will you drink it? Now, I don't want to get in the weeds about this. I mean, you might be hearing this and thinking it's all kind of silly. But he didn't actually answer it. And I I know it's easy to, and, and he then he went on, to, he moved on to talk about the evil railroads and all that. And that's, that's all fine, and that's all valid too. But, you know, these people don't afford them the opportunity that they want. They can't make their point. It's like when there's a shooting someplace 
but the victims aren't the right victims or the shooter isn't the right color or the circumstances aren't right. And all of a sudden that isn't part of our gun problem. We just don't talk about that. But when the circumstances fit their agenda, then they go there and they pose with the victims and the families and the, the they have the news conferences and it's so obvious, right? So wrong people, wrong place. No Greta, no Al. You all come to us young people. How dare you? I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. Or into the night. Get to the results on the JR poll here in a few minutes. We've been asking you today and people have been voting by phone and at ktsa.com and on facebook did you ever at any point in your life want to be the president wish you could be president dream of being president as a kid say one day i'm going to be president was that ever a thing for you i remember going through that uh, i don't remember the exact years or the exact age but there was something about learning the history of our country and first starting to follow the news that made me very um, optimistic about, hey, I could do this. Someday this could be me. And I was thinking about this today and about, you know, all the different ways somebody might fantasize or dream or aspire to be president. I mean, it's an incredible thing, right? I mean, you, you have a greater chance of playing in the NFL than of being president. You have a greater chance of winning the lottery, probably, than being president. But the thing is, the thing is, if a child wants to be president, it probably means that on some level, he or she thinks this country is great and going to be great, and I want in on that. I don't know if you'd have to believe that, say, to join the military or to become a law enforcement officer. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you could be very cynical about the country, or maybe you could think, well, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to choose this career path, but, but I think we're going to hell in a handbasket. But I do think there's something about when you're, when you're young and you're learning history and you're becoming aware of the American story, it can kind of... Um, light a fire. I mean, I, I guess this is a funny way to say it, but I started to fall in love with this country. I remember this in grade school and middle school. As, as we would learn the history, I was loving it. Not just loving history, which I do, but I, I, I loved the story of the country. Now, I wasn't being lied to about it. I wasn't being given some Hollywoodized version of it. I had very good teachers who taught it straight down the middle. You couldn't tell if they were Democrats or Republicans or who they had voted for. We did learn about, and I believe kids should learn about the warts. We learned about FDR's internment of Japanese Americans. We learned about 
Jim Crow. We learned about lynchings. We learned about slavery. We learned, and you should. And no, no organized effort that I know of is being made to take those things out of any curriculum anywhere, including Florida, despite all the things you hear. So even with the warts, you could not help but fall in love with this country. And it wasn't just me. I saw it happening to my classmates, and I was in school with people of all different ethnicities. Some of them were newly immigrated immigrated to this country. I mean, these were kids whose parents had just got here. I'm third generation. And um, it was it was it was like falling in love. Is there anything wrong with that? I don't think there is. And I believe if we taught it the way we were taught it, young people today would fall in love. How could you not? How could you not love a country that despite its shortcomings and mistakes and missteps and times that it didn't honor its principles, or elected less than capable or less than um, moral people. And even sometimes its great leaders did horrific things, made, made horrific mistakes. How could you not love it for all the good it did and has done and is doing? And it's still the beacon. It's still the place people try to get to. So I I guess I'm just saying if the percentage of young people that, that dream about someday being the president is declining, that probably also means that love of and optimism for the country is declining, and that's that's a problem. You know, I don't know any country in the world that runs itself down to its own young people. I mean, what's the future in that? You know, that's like reverse advertising. That would be like if you if you had a product and you spent all of your advertising budget on television and radio and Internet telling people how bad it was. No one's ever done that. Why would you do that? 210-599-5555. Speaking of FDR, i got to mention this, because they um, the White House put out a, a, a statement on the anniversary of Executive Order 9066. Executive Order 9066 was the order that President Roosevelt gave to inter Japanese Americans on the West Coast of the United States, tens of thousands of them. And they put out this statement saying that it was a terrible uh, thing and it was racist and fearful and xenophobic and all that. I just want to say two things very quickly. Um, I agree that it w- we shouldn't have done it. But I also think you have to know or have some inkling of what they were telling him, what military authorities at the highest levels, in other words, the kind of people that we expect American presidents to listen to in the military, we're telling Franklin Roosevelt. So if he was wrong, they were wrong. And if they were wrong, a lot of people were wrong. Still, he gave the order, and it's a black mark on our history. 
Isn't it interesting, though, that we have not canceled FDR? I've never heard, unless I missed it, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've never heard of his statue being taken down anywhere. I've never heard of him being taken off any currency or his name being taken off of anything. There's got to be tons of things named after him and in his honor. He's still an iconic figure in the Democratic Party. This president we have told interviewers that he wanted to have an FDR-style presidency. It's very interesting that we, and I'm not saying I want us to, it's very interesting that the cancelers didn't cancel him. I wonder why. On this President's Day, have you ever wanted to be president? Was that ever a thing for you? 87% said no. 13% yes. New JR poll tomorrow at 4 when we go live. Or you can find the JR poll anytime at ktsa.com. And you can find this show in podcast form. Whole episode podcasts available ktsa.com on the on-demand menu, or just look for The Jack Riccardi Show wherever you like to get podcasts. Um, what's going to happen to Don Lemon on CNN? Do you think he's going to keep his job? I don't know if you've heard this or not or followed this or not. They, they didn't have him on their morning show this morning. He Last week he stepped in it with the whole uh, Nikki Haley's pastor prime. Women are in their prime in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. She's 51. She's over the hill. And his... Uh, Women co-host didn't didn't like it. I don't think they like him, <laughs> but they didn't like it, and he got all flustered and said, "Google it," which is always so I'm just a great... saying. Nikki Haley should be careful about saying <laughs> that politicians are not in their prime, and they need to be in their prime when they serve, because she wouldn't be in her prime, according to Google, you know, Google or whatever it is. <laughs> according to Google, uh, it's like Google is a guy that sits up on top of a mountain. You know, has all the answers. It's a search engine, dummy. Doesn't know anything. It's not the source of knowledge. It's just the vehicle. So he was off their show today. But it's okay, because when Don Lemon is not on CNN, he's on Fox so much that more people see him. Have you ever thought about this, Don Cooper? When they talk about Don Lemon on Fox... More people see Don Lemon than if he was actually on the air at CNN. So this has actually worked out beautifully for him. He finally has the ratings he always wanted. He just has them on Fox. Will he show up on Fox? Because they never stop right. They never stop talking about him. Every show today had something about Don Lemon. It's like he's missing. It's like we should be worried about. He he was just not on the air. He, he, it's not like they they found a a bloody sock and they don't know where he is. He's just off the air. But yeah, Fox is giving him the audience he's always wanted and could never get on CNN. So I read today that um, everybody's going to do it. Everybody's going to have their turn now. It's Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A is test marketing a um, vegan sandwich. The chick is cauliflower. So they're testing it in Denver, Charleston, and Greensboro, North Carolina. And get this, it's more expensive than the chicken sandwich. I think I'll just have the lemonade. See you back here tomorrow at 4.